Yes. See, that's the problem. especially by my friend David Iverson, who is sitting in with us today. This is, however, the Ramble Room, or not. Or not. It, it could be whatever you want it to be. The Cowboy State Politics. Yes. Cowboy State Ramble Room. Yes, something <laughs> like that. That's why we put that little bronze over there. Is Now we have the, the Cowboy Ramble Room. Well, uh, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it as long as you have, Ken. It may disappear later. <laughs> There's a story behind that one, but we'll share that later. Diane's here. Tom Kelly's here. There was a, a, I guess they call him a Spanish philosopher, but he was actually, he called himself an American. His name was George Santayana, and he's the one who first said something akin to those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. Um, I think it was Edmund Burke also repeated it. Churchill is quoted as saying the same sort of thing. But we hear it often, and I think it's very true. And I was thinking the other day as I was watching the... Did it hurt? Oh, (laughs) it was awful. It was arduous and grueling. So I was thinking about the Biden administration, speaking of, did it hurt? Now that would hurt, yeah. (laughs) That would hurt. End of quote. For those of you that may not know me, I was in high school from about 1976 to 1980, which happened to coincide with Jimmy Carter's presidency. And I am struck at how many similarities there are today with the current administration and their foolhardy policies and the repercussions that we're seeing and how similar they are to what happened in the Carter years. We had... uh, businesses that were struggling due to all kinds of things and so the feds decided they could step in and fix things yay we're saved yeah um the auto industry back in the 70s was struggling because they had a lot of competition from japanese imports that were beginning to actually become pretty decent cars And in the midst of that, in the wisdom of the powers that be in Washington, they decided to saddle a struggling auto industry with all kinds of new regulations about weight and fuel economy and this, that, the other thing. And we see the same things happening here. Any business that seems to be doing well has to be attacked and has to be destroyed. And then we we print in in a Keynesian economic sort of way we print all kinds of money in order to quote-unquote stimulate the economy and then we stand back and we're surprised because we have inflation it's as if no can you know that this whole inflation business isn't caused by money printing oh, i mean it, it's covid yes covid yes that's that's the other thing is there's a constant turnaround and uh, they call it assigning the blame i call it gaslighting blaming everything but themselves and their own foolish policies for what was inevitable. 
Well, and I think if you look at the, the at the Carter administration, I mean they they trumped up this this myth of an <laughs> oil shortage. Yes, I did say Trump. <laughs> they they came up with this myth that there was an oil shortage, which arguably the, it it really didn't happen. Right. So they they artificially inflated the price of oil, you know, which caused and you know everybody remembers the pictures of like the long lines at gas stations and you know gas stations had signs painted. I remember more than the pictures. Well, yeah. Hey, by the way, did they, is your birth certificate, is it carved in stone or had they moved on to wood by It's a papyrus. Papyrus. Ah, I see. Hieroglyphics. But uh, the point is that a lot of these crises are manufactured. And if they're not manufactured, they're definitely ones that are intentionally created. I guess that's kind of the same thing. But, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're problems that are created by radical leftists for um, for the express purpose of advancing their position. Well, what we're looking at today, I, I see the parallels of the 70s, and it, but it, it's primarily money printing, regulations that inflate costs for businesses, um, and then they look to regulate price controls, those types of things. Thank God we haven't gotten there yet. But when we compare to the 70s, I'd say out of control inflation, money printing, regulations, some of the economics are about the only parallels I see. It is so vastly different right now. And I'm, I'm going to rant on this before you. What about me? What we see so differently right now is the Democratic Party of the 1970s stood for the American flag and the national anthem. They stood for capitalism. Yes, they wanted higher taxes on the rich and more programs for the poor. That's what the Democrats are known for. But they did not hate the United States. They did not vilify the Constitution. They did not say capitalism was white supremacy. They did not actively work to end the constitutional system as we know it. There is no similarity between the Democratic Party of 2021 and 1976. I will, I will allow you your opinion. I will respectfully disagree. I believe that those people had many of the same sentiments that modern progressives do, but they were smarter about it. They were not allowed to fully express their ways. And one of the reasons I say that is, is you look at foreign policy, and that's what I was going to what about. You look at foreign policy, and you look at the primary motive of the progressive is to pretend that our enemies are good heart. They're good at heart. We know that the only reason these people are moving all around is we have climate change, and so therefore they're, they're migrating to different places. We know that if, if these people in Muslim countries would simply have a better economy, they wouldn't be so aggressive towards us over here. So we gonna, we're going to appease them, and we're constantly going around and appeasing evil people. And we just they simply denied the existence of evil in the world. Jimmy Carter was thought of as a, a good, decent man, and he just expected everyone else to listen to or to live up to his standards. Yeah, a good man who was naive is how he was cast. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't believe he was that dumb. No, he wasn't naive. And I don't believe that the current crop of modern progressives are that dumb either. So, so if we can agree that you know the the current crop of progressives, as Ken puts it, or 
uh, Democrats in the 1970s, if if they weren't dumb either, uh, Tom, couldn't we couldn't we say that they've been all been operating on the same agenda? Hmm. hmm. Operating on the same agenda. Well, I went back and I looked at the um the, the DNC platform of 1976, and there was language in there were about economic justice and equity and those mm-hmm. types of things. Um, but you see now as the press denies there's a civil war within the Democratic Party, and it's so obvious it's laughably painful, that you see the old school Democrats, you see people like James Carville, you see uh, they've even lost Bill Maher as saying that the, the squad and AOC and the Bernie Sanders, the actual socialists of the party, they don't understand how the party became anti-capitalism, anti-American, um, anti-white. It's really gotten that bad. Now, I could see the slippery slope on this whole idea of redistribution, how it ultimately is going to lead towards some form of socialism. But I, I don't think if you went around and, and you polled Democrats, by and large, in the general public, how they felt about communism that so many would give the thumbs up as they do now in the United States. Well, what about what about Ronald Reagan's 1964 A Time for Choosing speech? I mean, he lays out a long list of things that the Democratic Party believes in, and it's uh, among them are that capitalism has failed, that we have to give up our freedoms in favor of what he I think he called the modern welfare state. I mean, he li- he lists a lot of things in that speech that I mean, directly correlate to what what the Democratic Party right now is all about. If you listen to that speech and don't know when it was recorded, it sounds as pertinent today as it did then in many ways. Well, and that's why I say that, that, you know, maybe they're all operating on the same agenda. Because if you look back at FDR's administration, he was good friends with this guy named Stuart Chase. Stuart Chase wrote this book called The Road We Are Traveling. And in it, he lists the the 10 things that have to happen. And he didn't call it communism, but, I mean, he called it System X in the book because communism hadn't been invented yet. But, um, well, it had, but just not, not the modern conception of it. But he lists the 10 things that have to happen in America to make this a communist or socialist regime. And all of those are, um, you know, nationwide health care um, and a, a huge expansion of the welfare state. Um a, a decreased reliance on capitalism you know so i mean i think i don't think that we we should discount the historical parallels to what we're seeing right now well that, and i think some of it is just the fact that they've always had sort of the same basic operating procedures but they knew they had to be careful because the american people were going to have to come around and the way they were going to do that was to the they were too smart for a while and then so we have to dumb them down because i'm thinking back to like even teddy roosevelt he was pretty progressive but it was really a sort he of coined a, the term yeah so it, but it was kind of a gentle thing where we're gonna we're gonna make people be nice to each other kind of thing but america's great so we should go conquer other countries but um we really just the government needs to help people help each other so we're going to have some programs that you know the united states has lots of money that you gave us in taxes and we're going to use it to help people because you're not helping people enough and then wilson comes along during the first world war and says all right people here's what we are allowed to tell you to do we're at war i have unlimited power here to control your lives and people went oh yeah we're at war go ahead go ahead and it never ever comes back from that kind of a thing all the way 
Well, Wilson, Wilson, I mean, that's an excellent point, Diane, because if you want to talk about, like, the guy that created the modern administrative state, I mean, that was yeah. him. You know, right. um, his favorite book was Philip Drew Administrator, which, by the way, don't ever don't ever try to read that thing. It's it's a terrible book. But it was it, the book is all about creating this giant bureaucracy and that the president of the United States is more of an administrator. He's uh, he's like the superintendent of schools. You know, he's not necessarily directly involved in everything, but he just kind of manages. Which is everything. interesting since that's what Wilson was, was was a professor. Exactly. And he definitely thought he was smarter than everyone else. Absolutely. And, and, he and did. that's how we get treated by the left to this day is we're going to tell you what you have to do because we're so much smarter than you are right and tom brought up price controls which is inter- interesting because wilson was one of the first first well but he probably was the first president to institute price controls in form of in the form of what he called the national recovery act um and uh, businesses would put this sign in their front window and it actually it did say nra on them but it was a picture of an eagle. It was, the sign was blue, picture of an eagle, and it said, member of the NRA, the National Recovery Act. And really what it was is price controls. But some of this goes back to the trust-busting era you know, Absolutely. during Roosevelt, too, where it may, you may not be able to call it price controls, but it kind of was control over everything. Was Your company's too big. You can't do that anymore. All right, so I think what we're talking past each other here is you're talking about the practical ideological goals of the Democratic Party, which universal health care, uh, universal preschool, uh, paid time off for parents, all those types of things that they've adopted in Nordic countries, they want that type of thing here. You're right. That stuff's been around for 100 years. They've been talking about socializing things, public education, medicine, those types of things. What's really different, though, is the sentiment, the, the patriotism. A lot of things we talk about as far as like universal health care and universal paid leave for kids and, and things like that, They've already been adopted in countries that kept their capitalist basis, like the Nordic countries. And people are not burning Finnish flags and saying death to Sweden. They're not vilifying and attacking their own countries. And that's what I'm saying is so different now. Yeah, the ideology of government can and should do more has been there for the Democratic Party for a good century. I know that. But what's changed since then is Many people in the Democratic Party hate the United States and want to end it. And so many people are afraid to say that. How dare you question my patriotism? I don't question it. I completely deny it. <laughs> no, I think you have a good point, Tom. I do, too. Well, <laughs> and, and when I think when you look at, you know, when you look at what the Democrat Party has, has become, I mean, really— it is a band of radical leftists that do hate the idea of America. And if you um, just look at their policies, like their global policies, you know, they, they don't believe that the United States should be a world superpower. And I think, it, I think it's pretty clear that they're doing everything that they can to diminish um, America's stance on the world stage economically, Absolutely. politically. Absolutely. Climate change, it's our fault. We should give our money to poor countries. Everything is about redistributing the wealth that America stole from the rest of the world. I don't know how we stole money from countries that didn't have any, that were always dirt poor. <laughs> that we're always giving money to. Uh, exactly. Somehow, we, yeah. And, but it's the same concept of the people are rich in the United States because they took it from the poor people. I've never understood. How do you Zero redistribute money? concept. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, but they don't seem to think there's a zero-sum game when they print endless amounts of money, but yeah, when wealth is... So many people can't understand the difference between wealth creation and money printing. 
There's a fundamental difference, I've, I've often said, between the conservative and the liberal or the progressive mindset. The progressive believes, I think, in the inherent good in every individual. And the conservative understands the true nature of man is corrupt. Therefore, if a government is made up of men, which is a necessary evil, as conservatives might say, we're going to keep it as small and as powerless as possible because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. On the other hand, there just seems to be this naivete, which we saw in the Carter administration and many others, that says if we just take away these people's wants, everything will be good. They're denying the fundamental truth about people is that it's never enough. Right, people whether don't really want to be equal. Yeah, whether it's power or, or things or whatever, it's never enough. Well, one of the things I would disagree with, the idea of if we're, we're going to have some sweeping brushes of conservatives versus progressives, I've always seen conservatives actually having more faith in humanity to help each other, to be able to protect themselves, to be trusted with weaponry. More of the progressives saying people are bad, they can't have guns. We need these massive government programs because people are selfish and they won't help each other. Uh, but but you know, I could just speak anecdotally. When my daughter had leukemia, it was my conservative friends who coughed up tens of thousands of dollars over the years to help me. And all I got from my liberal friends, well, the government should. Nothing else. Well, sometime you and I will have to talk more about that because I disagree with your premise. But I don't want Good. To, that makes it more fun yeah. than when it's just sitting here, just, you know, it's preaching I, to the choir. But I think it's because there there is that um, the liberals do think that people are basically good. If you could just, but they still have to be controlled in order to do that good. And conservatives understand that people are not basically good, but with proper motivation will do the right thing. And the motivations are wrong. We conservatives motivate by giving people freedom to do the right thing, and progressives motivate by forcing them to treat everybody the same and have the same, and uh, by making why, laws. Which is why progressive ideals always lead to tyranny. Uh, see, this is where the Adam Smith libertarian in me comes out. The whole idea that people are basically will work in their own self-interest, but that will eventually work for the good of everyone if we let people work for their own self-interest. Because it's in your self-interest that other people around you are doing well, too. If, under the right system, yes. Right. But I, what, because anarchy, for example. And this is why I have so few friends, because... <laughs> I, well, I, I, I mean, s- people meet you, Tom. And, <laughs> I, I see the conservative... I, I see, like, people who call themselves conservatives today, real right-wingers, have no compunction whatsoever about using the government to force people what they think should they should do is the right thing. And we saw this under the, the Trump administration, very much nationalistic, not conservative, not freedom-preserving, but I will use the power of government to do things that I think people should do. Bring up the abortion debate. You can't trust people to make the right decision on abortion, therefore we must ban it. Now we can get in the whole argument now about whether it's homicide or not, which I think it is. Uh, that's a different, that's a, but I bring up abortion because conservatives have no problem about instituting the force of government to stop something they think is wrong. It's, it's interesting you bring that up because I've made the point many times that I'm a little more libertarian in my thinking where the government is concerned because as soon as we set a standard where the government can begin to mold society, 
then that can be turned around and used against us, kind of like some sort of political jujitsu, I would call it. If if I say we can use the government to impose morality, which we all know is a fallacy, it can't be done, then they can impose their morality. So the right answer to me is nobody's reality or nobody's morality. I disagree with you both. Oh, Fantastic. Good. I don't, Jump I, in there. Yeah, I don't think that that conservatives, let's just start there, and maybe this will lead us to like, the, the essential point, but conservatives believe in individual rights. And just take, for example, Tom's point of abortion. Conservatives want to get rid of abortion, um, yes, because of moral grounds, because it is, it is murder. Um, I, I absolutely agree with you, Tom, that it is homicide. But the essential reason, like the constitutional reason, is that every living thing has rights. And it's the individual rights of the child that you're violating by terminating its life. Which right? is why we can't call it a child. We have to call it a fetus. Right. So tissue. if you look at individual rights, I think that you know when the, when the Trump administration wanted to get rid of abortion, I think it was in favor of individual rights, not because of some, some grandiose moral compass. Although that plays into it, I think that it, it focuses on individual rights. And I think when you broaden that out conservati- to conservatism as a whole— you know, in the free market, for example, um, it just let people run their own business, you know, look out for their own individual interests, and then they'll create an economy, eventually we'll create an economy that, that functions. So I think that, that, the, that the difficulty we're having here is not one on moral grounds, or, um, and yes, yes, that does play into it, but it's one that's centered on individual rights. And then I think if you look at it from a progressive point of view, they don't believe that individuals have rights. You know, it's it's the force of the force of government to do whatever it is that those people in power want to do. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Well, yeah, they always they always yeah. say that, but really, the the needs they're talking about are the needs of the people in yeah. power. And I think, secondly, um, progressives, as a general rule, think that people are stupid, that they're not smart enough to manage their own lives, which is why we have to have things like universal health care and universal pre-K. Universal the, retirement, because people won't save for their own retirement. Yeah, sorry. Exactly. And I just wanted to give you guys an example straight out of the Pravda on the Plat um, that, that kind of illustrates for me that progressives really do think that we're all stupid. So just listen to this headline. Darwin in a lab. Coral evolution tweaked for global warming. Okay, so not only are progressives at the Casper Star saying that we can affect um, changes in, in the Earth's climate, now they're claiming that we can affect changes in evolution. Okay, so really, I mean, if you read the article, which I don't suggest we can that be you God. do. Well, yeah, but really you're convincing people of two things in one article that are just flatly not true. And yet they are the people all of the time that are saying... Follow the science. I want, I want to step back for a second. Too. You were talking about conservatives standing for personal liberty, and yet social conservatives would be very much against allowing gambling. They would be very much against legalizing marijuana. They would be very much against any number of things that a libertarian would say these are individual liberties. Tom. 
Oh you, yeah, absolutely. You something in yeah, your well, eye, you yeah. know, just like legalizing prostitution, drug usage, same-sex marriage. Those are all things conservatives stood dead fast against. Uh, and um, sometimes we can get into semantics over like what's a libertarian versus a conservative, what's a liberal versus a progressive. I know that in classic terms, I'm actually a liberal, but a liberal now is a socialist. Mm-hmm. And what I get concerned is when we conflate conservative, conservative use of government, individual rights, with a right-winger, a nationalist, fascist, that type of person, who has no problem bringing in the government to do things. Let's say we've got that Texas law now. Let's say you're against abortion. You cheer on that Texas law that allows private lawsuits against people who perform abortions. Well, now we've got Gavin Newsom in California saying, that's a great idea. I could ban all guns in, in, in California by, we'll circumvent the Constitution by just simply allowing private lawsuits against people who own guns, and people won't be able to lawyer up and afford guns anymore. Another example, the Patriot Act. We have to stop those horrible Muslim terrorists. That's why the government needs all this power. It's already been turned against us now. Domestic terrorists, people getting locked up for months on end because they did what? They carried a Gadsden flag to the Capitol. I agree with you, but I think I would still take it back to individual rights. Um, look at John Stuart Mill's harm principle. Um, that's, that's like the, John Stuart Mill is like the libertarian, right? The harms principle says that the only legitimate use of government force is to pre- prevent harm to another person. So again, let's go back to go back to the abortion thing. Obviously, terminating somebody's life is harming them, right? Or if we take pot, I mean, we could make a credible argument right here that if we were to legalize marijuana, that you're you're infringe you're allowing one person to infringe on uh, on the another person's personal liberty. That is, you're harming them. Um, or if you know, we talk about gambling, we could make we could make a great argument that if we legalize gambling that that destroys families um state-sponsored gambling is what i what i would argue is the problem so i think all of these things go back to protecting the rights of the individual i think one thing that's wrong though with all of this in in ourselves is that as far as harm goes we have come to the place where we think that if we just could figure out the right formula no one would ever be harmed again and that's why Republicans and people who call themselves conservatives are willing to use the government for things that we probably all four would think it shouldn't be doing is because no one should ever be hurt. If it would save just one child, wouldn't it be worth taking everybody else's liberty away? Well, the harm principle, too. You know, Mill actually died a self-described socialist, so Mm -hmm. he got more twisted up as he went. But we're going back to when he was still thinking lucidly. Um, but the left does that, too, with harm. You need that vaccine because you're killing people if you don't get it. Yeah. You're not allowed to complain about that giant man winning all these swimming events right now because you are killing transgender people. You are harming people by not getting in line and doing what we want. And they use that harm principle yeah. to take away individual liberties, too. Your choice, whether or not you want an experimental RNA shot, will be taken away because your choice not to have it is literally killing people. They're out there saying that now, mainstream news. Well, yeah, but I think I think Mill's point, though, was that he was talking about legitimate harm, like actual things that are going to going to harm you, right? But like, we don't know what that is anymore. Right. And that's okay. what I'm saying. You so we need a little definition. Everything is harming me. I'm, I'm offended, therefore I'm yes. harmed. But the, the left will 
steadfastly insist that if you criticize allowing men to compete in women's sports, you are literally murdering. They'll bring out the stats of how often transgender women are, are killed in acts of violence, and they will connect it. They even come out, they say silence is violence. If you don't parrot what they say, you are harming people. Do you believe that? No, neither do I. But the true believers in the far left, a good quarter of the country now probably believes that if you don't parrot the narrative, you are hurting people. Well, and I guess my response would be prove it. Oh, you, you, it's no problem to, to, to get so-called professors in the ivory towers to pull out their so-called studies where mm-hmm. they've got their predetermined result and they pull out a bunch of statistical numbers that I look at and I say, what a bunch of bull, and then people just call me names and censor me. But, um, yeah, you, you have all sorts of leftists in the universities now pulling out all sorts of so-called scientific studies that prove that you really can switch genders if you want to, that prove that these vaccines actually do work, e- even though real-world reality, we just look at it and say, um, yeah, science is completely, f- so-called science is f- flying in the face of what we're observing with our own eyes. Um, so if you say prove it, they'll prove it. Here's an article in The Lancet. Here, this Harvard well, professor and people, said, And there's enough people who will believe that, that it's really hard to function Oh, and then there's Facebook. Here's a fact check. Yep. You know, I, I put my ID out there. No, 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 that guy's wrong because look, look at PolitiFact said. <laughs> well, and I, I, I think the other problem with it too is that when, you know, when Tom, you said, okay, you can say prove it and people drag out all of these studies that allegedly prove it. Well, we have to go back to definitions. Like, what is a fact? A fact is something that's indisputably true, that that, that's, that that happened, right? And so, but truth is not something like, you don't have your own truth and I don't have my own truth. I mean, the truth is the truth, it's a fact. It's something that legitimately happened. And I, I think that we've gone, we've gotten so far away from um, seeking out things that are actually facts that's why when people say follow the science and you can come up with 17 biology textbooks that prove you're wrong, they can say, well, no, 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 see, all, that was old science. Well, the point of science is to disprove things, to be questioning. That's the scientific method. That was. But that science, was is, now. science has now become hopelessly polluted with politics. Peer review has become a form of censorship, not a form of quality control. Now, what you're talking about facts... This is what I'm talking about, the difference between the 70s and now. We have people living in alternate universes. We have people who swear to God, we're going to save children's lives by lining them up with experimental injections. Well, we have people like me who look at the numbers and know these injections will kill a kid before the disease will. And we look at each other and people say, what planet are you living on? Because they're getting their news sources from different places. There were things people could agree on in the 1970s. America was good. That was something both parties agreed on back then. Ask the DNC now, is America a good place? Is the United States a racist country? You will get a mixed bag of answers. There's an illustration in recent history that kind of represents what we're talking about here and another aspect of it that I'd like to bring up that, Diane, you kind of alluded to earlier. But you guys remember Timothy Treadwell? Actually, no. They called him the grizzly man. Timothy Treadwell lived among the brown bears in Alaska. Did they eat him? They, but we don't get ahead of the story. He believed quite fervently. His truth was 
that he had been accepted by them as a part of their society and that they were his friends. And as David pointed out, one day one of them was a little bit hungrier or more protective or whatever and ate Timothy and his girlfriend Amy. <laughs> There's an old joke about Timothy Treadwell's dad says, son, you're never going to amount to beep. And he, and he proved them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, so this to me is one of the best illustrations of truth is truth, as David was talking about earlier. My truth, your truth, whatever, it doesn't matter. Whatever, however much you persuade yourself that something is true, truth is still truth. But the other one is this fallacy that safety exists. The world is a dangerous place, always has been, always will be. We've made it much more comfortable and a little less dangerous. But the fact remains, there are evil people out there who would seek to do us harm. Tom, you were talking earlier about walking through the bad part of the city waving a thousand dollars around and saying, you know, the law protects you because they're not supposed to do that. But the fact remains, the truth is... Still make yourself a target. Yeah, don't make yourself a target. The world is not a safe place, no matter how much smoke they try to blow up your butt and tell you that we have... We have made everything safe and kind and no one can be harmed and no one can be insulted and no one can be hurt. Well, and liberty, liberty by definition is not safe. I mean, the, the best example of that is the consequence of you being able to own a firearm is that somebody else may shoot you in the head. You know, that liberty, by definition, is probably the, the least safe, safest thing that we have. And so I think with, with coronavirus, with uh, any, and you could pick any, any topic you want that the left always throws out, that in an attempt to make you safe, or maybe that's not even their, their real motivation, but they tell you, uh, we're going to keep you safe from all of these bad things that are going to hurt you, and that is where, where you lose your liberty. You know, I, I agree completely, but it's yeah. not just the left that does that. The right oh, does it too. Yeah. We will take away your liberty and we will keep you safe from the terrorists. We will keep you safe from the illegal immigrants. There are things that the right promises to keep people safe from too. Now, let's not assume I'm talking about conservatives here when I talk about the right. right. We do have a very strong nationalist base in this country that has, again, I will repeat it, has no problem stepping in the Constitution to put those people, to put those crazy leftists in line. This is world history. You see it over and over. The United States is in a very dangerous place right now because both people on the right and left are willing to give up their freedom to put those people in their place. You just kind of opened up the gate for the other aspect of the conversation that I wanted to get into. Is we've pointed out a parallel between the United States of the 1970s and the Carter and the Biden administrations and some of those. What about historically? We've got Two pretty good historians here, maybe more. Are there any other obvious examples that you can think of out of history where society made some blunders, we didn't learn from that, and we're following into the same pattern? Any ideas? Go for it, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, everybody could immediately go to the Roman Empire as far as that goes, but it, it, it's so different now. 
we are in some uncharted waters because technology and globalization makes things happen so much more quickly. The decline of the American empire is going to happen lightning quick compared to how it's happened to places in the past. The Roman empire took hundreds of years to come apart and we can condense it into a chapter in a book, but America might come apart in a matter of months. And we're seeing that that's on the horizon. Um, can a country peaceably break up? Yes. Czechoslovakia did it. The Soviet Union did it. It can happen. Um, but what we're looking at right now is uh, competing narratives of voter fraud must be stopped versus we must protect our democracy and all mail-in ballots must be counted even if they come from Guatemala. Um, the cemetery. There's a very good chance Donald Trump is reelected in 2024. Mm-hmm. What happens then? When you've got the mainstream media and, and, and people in California and Illinois and New York saying, we are, from my lips to God's ears, Hillary Clinton wants a rematch in 2024. Let's say we've got 20 states now claiming one president and 30 states claiming the other one. What happens when the Supreme Court eventually overturns Roe versus Wade, and I've been saying it forever, not if, when. It was always bad law. We can get into that later. But it was a horrible decision that somehow a woman loses her rights to privacy in the midterm. That doesn't make any sense. So that that, that, that decision's going to go away probably soon. We're going to have a complete uproar on the left from that. If you look at the polls right now, the 22, uh, the 2022 elections, Republicans are going to easily take the Senate and the House. We're going to start seeing the claims of voter suppression. Um, you know, what you got? Abrams wants to run again in Georgia for governor. She, I think she says she's she running. She never lost, lost in the first place. I was going to say she's, yeah. run, she's running for re-election, according to her. Right? Yeah. yeah, but she didn't challenge it. But this is going to become, <laughs> as we have, we have these competing narratives of people looking at each other and not understanding where and they're getting their facts or their view of reality, That'll be the end of the United States eventually when you have people just uh, half the country views the federal government as illegitimate. Well, I think that your reference to the Roman Empire is interesting because you're right. The fall of Rome did, didn't happen overnight. I mean, it was a gradual process that took a couple hundred years. But, but the, the essential roots of the Roman Empire crumbling, I mean, we can draw parallels there. I mean, they had a massive military and they were continuing to expand their territory. Well, you have to pay soldiers. And the truth is, the the Roman emperors didn't have enough silver to pay them. So they inflated their currency. You know, at at one time, I, God, I wish I could remember the, the exact number, but at one time, a Roman coin was worth two, one two hundred and seventy second thousandth of what its original value was. So they inflated their currency. They printed money. Um, they also had a giant welfare state. 30% of the Roman population was on basically welfare. I mean, they were getting their bread for free, but we can call that, we can call that welfare. And so there are, there are certainly parallels there. When we talk about economics, there's several examples you know, throughout history of what happens to a country that inflates its currency. Uh, the Roman Empire is one of them. Uh, the Weimar Republic, where you know your food was worth far more than any amount of money that you could have. Uh, Zimbabwe in 2008, um, Venezuela, and now we're looking at it in the United States. So, I mean, there, there's all sorts of parallels around there, and, and the outcomes of all of them are bad. And I think, I think you're right, Tom, that right now America is experiencing a culmination of a lot 
like several of those influences all at the same time. Okay, say so fans, you couldn't see me nodding my head the entire time he was talking. Um, I, I agreed with it completely. <laughs> it the was whole, not because he was sleepy. Yeah, no, it was everything he was talking about, um, the, the big difference we're talking about is at the speed at which this is happening with modern yeah. technology. Uh, but, but he's right. The whole idea, and what also happened in the Roman Empire is that people became complacent. Life was relatively easy for many people. Tribalism started, belief in the empire started to fade. We're seeing a substantial portion of Americans no longer believe in America. Well, and I think one big influence that I, that I unintentionally left out is that I mean, laws in, in the Roman Empire um, almost overnight loosened. I mean, prostitution was, was far more widespread than it was at one time. Um, there, were, there was rampant drug use. And if you, if you compare that to the Weimar Republic, they legalized prostitution. Um, there was increased pornography. There was increased drug use. Um, there was increased crime. Certainly, if you look at Venezuela, I don't know that they've made the same, the same legal, legal changes that, that happened in Rome or in the Weimar Republic. But if you compare it to America right now, we're certainly doing that. Hey, let's legalize pot and let's legalize prostitution, and everybody can get an abortion on the corner on the corner of Fifth Street. There, there's one stark difference, and we could probably talk for an hour about this. Part of what is grinding at the United States, and I am by no means some Bible banging church attending Christian. I am. Good, good. Um, complete respect for that. There is a decreasing faith in the Christian faith in America. And that was always, the United States is technically not a Christian nation, but it was born of Christians. And the foundation and the moral principle of, of the American Constitution was based in Christianity, even though there's no mention of it. Because I know people say, oh, well, they were deists, and now some of them no, were agnostic. That's all well, it, even if some of them were, the majority of the people were Christians. Now, the Roman Empire. It was actually Christianity that undermined the faith in the emperor. Mm -hmm. You're right about that. So there was a little bit of a stark difference that the decline of Christianity in America is eroding the foundation of this country while the foundation of belief in the emperor was eroded by Christianity. But they're both the same thing, that faith in the Roman system, faith in the American system being eroded. Could you throw into that the idea that you cannot have a free society without moral people. Certainly, George George Washington in his uh, in his farewell address. I mean, he said that you that this that this government is wholly inadequate for anything other than a profoundly religious and educated populace. And then, what do you do then? Because as you said yourself, the government cannot mandate morality. The left can't mandate compassion. When people become increasingly self-centered and immoral, the country's doomed. Morality, I You can't pass a law to reverse that. My dad said that in 1964, that was the end of the line, that America was doomed at that point. And and as I look back on it, I think he was probably very much right. Morality has to be one of the raw materials. And if that is done away with, or if that is lessened, the society moves toward chaos. You have order and chaos. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made order. Some would say out of chaos. There's other theories there. But there there are these two opposing ideals. One is order, one is chaos. 
where there is order, it cannot be mandated from above. It has to come from within, I think is goes back to what I was trying to say about conservatives thinking that man is inherently evil. And it is only by our will or our wisdom to overcome those natural tendencies. You remember Catherine Hepburn? Yes. And and, and <laughs> Catherine Hepburn once said, I think it was on in African Queen, Humphrey Bogart was drunk. His character was drunk. Which time? <laughs> and he said to him, basically, you can't blame me. I'm only human, was it? Something like that. And she said, that, Mr. Allnut, is what we are put on earth to rise above. And unless you have that idea that we're going to rise above what we are, I don't think you can be free. Well, I, for me, it's a question of velocity. You know, how quickly is this going to happen? And I think that when we when we look at Ken's question of, you know, so how do we create a, a profoundly religious and educated populace? Well, that starts at home. You know, for a long time, we have we have um, abdicated our our parental responsibility to the state, and that is we send our kids to school. Now, I I would be I would probably be terrified to know how many kids eat breakfast at school, lunch, and soon it'll probably be dinner. But we've allowed the schools to take over the complete education of our kids. Please um, don't call it education. Well, okay. Well, you'll like where I'm going with this. Okay. So when we, when we ask the question of how quickly is this happening, we also have to look at things that are happening to, that are coming about to stop it. So right now you're seeing, at least in Wyoming, a pretty large ground, groundswell, I can't talk today, groundswell of parents that are pulling their children out of school. And why are they doing that? Well, it's because they don't think that the, the schools are educating their children and they can do a much better job. Um, they're doing that because the values that they're being that kids are being taught at school right now are fundamentally opposed to the ones they want their their children to live by. You know, they they don't want their children learning that there are fifty seven genders when in fact there are only two. Um, they don't want their children having you know having alternative lifestyles being shoved down their throat, um, and they they want their kids to come out of you know being an eighteen year old with a well rounded education right i mean diane how many parents do you think in in sheridan and johnson county have pulled their kids from school it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> i mean i know one representative told me that in in sheridan that there's been over 300 kids pulled from the public school system which you know 300 that may not sound like a big number but in sheridan wyoming that's a huge percentage of the school district it's a huge number. yes and that's bigger than i would have guessed but i do i have talked to dozens of parents since September or whenever school started myself and so there's got there's more that I haven't talked to because not everybody's asking me for help right so I oddly think, enough I think when societies are are experiencing a, uh, a downward trend or a downward spiral whatever you want to call it um, you have you have solutions that spring up from the grassroots um, that that try to stand opposed to those um, I don't even know what you want to call it but uh, those um, opposite values, and they try to fight against it. And one of those that's happening is with parents pulling their kids out of the government school and, you know, trying to educate them at home. So there are forces that are fighting against this. Um, I'm just going to call it this leftist 
you know leftist government agenda so i mean there are there are bright spots in this you know i don't want to leave the conversation no. saying it, hey we're all screwed you know? right because but i i wonder how much in sheridan it seems like a big deal wow there, that's a lot of people standing up and saying that's no we're number. not going to take that anymore is anybody else doing that is that happening in other states in other places with larger populations or or is no, it just there here? Are states that are working to ban homeschooling yeah. Your yeah, well, there always to, are, yeah. Kids have to go, Illinois, yeah. California, your kids have to go to the public schools because you can't afford the private ones. There mm-hmm. are other states, though, where, where they're seeing the same thing we're seeing here. We did a show some time ago, and I can't remember who all was involved, um, about what we called the irreconcilable differences. And it seems to me that that might be a conclusion. No, Ken, I don't want to talk about my marriage. <laughs> But there comes a point, and and you touched on a little bit earlier, Tom, when you were talking about there have been peaceful breakups of nations in the past. You mentioned the Soviet Union. Um, I don't remember who else you mentioned, but Czechoslovakia. Yeah, there are rare examples of that. But I have to feel like we're on the precipice here of a great national divorce due to irreconcilable differences because I guarantee you, I, I work in homes a lot and I hear The View on TV <gasps> and I listen to those women talk and I have absolutely nothing in common with them. It used to be, as Tom was trying to mention earlier, maybe we could come together and say we both love America. We'll have a different view for it or whatever. We both love America. No, they don't. I, I have absolutely zero in common with so many of these people on the progressive left. AOC and I have no common ground that I can find. Well, well you, you do, like, drink water on occasion. I, <laughs> so do well, bears. Well, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so do bears. That doesn't and, mean we're going to be brothers. But that's one of the things that makes me feel like there's not a lot of hope for a peaceful separation is because we're being encouraged to hate each other. If you don't agree with me, you hate me, and you want bad things for me. And, and so, how could I, up. how could I peaceably separate from you when I know that you're just gonna come after me and try to hurt me? But that's the way we're being made to feel. Well, and I, I think that the megaphone is so large, and you know, Ken brought up the View. I can't say that I've ever sat and watched an entire show of that, but, but the megaphone is so large that the only thing you hear is, well. These two groups of people are totally different, and they're never going to be able to um, to talk about anything together. And the reality, I think, is far removed from that. But the problem, like Tom mentioned, is the speed of technology. That you know, we've all got these little phones in our hand, and the only thing we see on there is fake news that tells you that that tells all of us that well, if you're a con- if you're a Republican, you can't you can't talk to a Democrat. You know, you have to hate each other. And, you know, so I think if people do, you know, put down their phones every once in a while, as I'm holding my phone in my hand, uh, put down put down their phones and actually talk to each other, you know, we'll find that we we have far more in common than we do. Um, it's it's interesting that you say that I had a job and I pulled up to the house the very first time and she had a flag out front. And the flag said, in this house, we believe love is love. We believe all lives, or we believe black lives matter. We believe, and a number of progressive ideals. 
And I thought to myself, this is going to be a challenge. So I went in and started, and this was an extended job, one that took months. And during that process, I got to know this woman fairly well. And we've become pretty good friends. We understand that we both have very different views on some key aspects, but we have become friends. You said you held your phone and, and, and all we get is fake news. And I think I might... Except twist. for my program. Yeah. And <laughs> your program. <laughs> I might take that a little bit farther. Is all we get is what we want to hear. As I know, I don't go to CNN, I don't go to MSNBC and listen to their drivel. I go to Breitbart because that's what I want to hear. In the old days, before the phone and before all of these things, there was basically only, what was his name? Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite, yeah, that's exactly who I was trying to think. All I could Chet think of Huntley and David Brinkley, that's who I was trying to think of the other day. Those are the two guys that we watched. I was trying to... All I could think of was Tom Brokaw, and that was after things had already slid even farther. But where are we now with with this acceleration towards a crash? With progressives on one side, conservatives on the other side, libertarians on the other side, everybody's all jumbled up and not listening to one another. Where do we go from here? Well, one thing that just was occurring to me is that Part of it is that it's not that there isn't this core of normal people who think the noisy ones are crazy. It's that there's no way to get to hear the normal people because they're just doing their thing. But one thing about our phones and Facebook and all those things is we get to have these conversations with people that we'll never, ever see. And we stop looking at our neighbors. We don't know who the people are next door and getting to know them. And like Ken said, here's a person who has a sign that says, we're never going to get along. And then you go talk to her and work with her and be decent. And you find out, oh, hey, we are still people. And I think that that's going to have to come down to local. You're going to have to to take your eyes off of the huge picture that you can't do anything about and say, okay, what can I control? Not Not in a law way, but... What do I have any influence on in a positive way? My family, possibly my neighbor who needs his sidewalk shoveled or whatever, and just start working locally. Some people will have bigger influences. Mine's probably always going to be a tiny little circle, but get our eyes back onto what's actually right in front of us. Well, this is the um, light at the end of the tunnel I see, the train light. Um, Technology and our neighbors, those types of things. Think about how telecommuting and COVID, which accelerated telecommuting, allows people, I've said this before on the podcast, to move around the country. I'm from Chicago. I came to Wyoming because I can't stomach Illinois anymore. And the people of Illinois say, good riddance, Tom. We don't need right-wing fascists like you here. So we increasingly see Illinois, California move further and further into socialism. We see Texas and Florida become increasingly, increasingly white, right wing. And I say right wing because when you have a, a governor saying, no, I am passing an executive order that you will not do this. I will ban mask mandates. That's authoritarian. When local school districts vote to have mandates and in the, in the, in the right wing governor steps in and says, no, I'm banning that. That's, that's not freedom. So we have states moving increasingly to the left. States moving increasingly to the right. And both sides want to control the federal government and it's not even a matter of putting the other side in their place. I'm seeing more and more in the way of revenge politics. Just wait till we have control. We'll get you. Well, I, I'd like to go back to what, what Diane was saying. 
is that, you know, if you listen to my program all the time, I'm telling you, look, we don't have any control over what's happening in Washington, D.C., nor do we want part of that sewer. You know, the only things that we can control are, are our own communities and our own state. And, you know, I, I really do believe that that's where, that's where our focus needs to be, is in controlling the, uh, you know, the laws that are passed, the policies that are passed, the, uh, um, the happenings in our own communities, because that, that's where we have the most amount of direct control. And certainly when we look at Wyoming, I mean, there's a lot of work we've got to do. I mean, I, I just left church and heard that there are 14 tax bills that are scheduled for this next session. Oh, and, and Medicaid expansion, of course. Well, this is at a time where Wyoming is flush with cash. I mean, I know everywhere you turn, every paper you, you look at, it says we're broke. But that's not true at all. Like, as a, state, as a state, we're flush, man. We're rolling in it. Yeah. Yet here we have our elected representatives who are saying, "Oh, we have to tax the bejesus out of you." So, I mean, there are lots of things that that we have to focus on, like right here at home, before we even think about any anything else outside of you know our borders. And that's not to say that that's the answer to everything, because I don't think there is an answer to everything. But it's the only thing we can do, unless you have exactly. some other ideas. I've, you might find this shocking, but I think Wyoming really should focus on revitalizing the Democratic Party. I agree with you. I agree. So, so people like Dave Kinski can join the yeah, party he right. actually well, belongs in. Can we in. please yeah. talk about Kinski? <laughs> uh, yes. Can, yes. We, 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 need some, we need some admitted Democrats. <laughs> exactly. Instead of yeah. putting up the R banner and saying, oh, yeah, I'm against critical race theory. And, oh, yeah, we get, uh, we, you know, raising taxes are bad. Uh, but, and since I'm Catholic, of course I'm against abortion. Uh, so you can vote for right, me. Right. But then you see the voting records is just like, okay, so on the softball issues, I vote with the conservatives. But when it really matters, what happens? Taxes go up, regulations go up. You're not at all alone. I've heard a lot of people advance that, including myself, that if there actually was an opposition party where people could voice publicly arguments, we would probably have a much better discussion. But, you know, and maybe this is another light at the end of the tunnel type of thing. But the reason why we don't have a strong Democrat party, one of the reasons, is they won't get elected most of the time, which tells you that the vast majority of people in Wyoming are are more conservative leaning. That if you hang a big D on your campaign sign, the chances of you getting elected are pretty slim. So the reason I say that that's, that might be a light at the end of the tunnel is if we, if we get some sort of runoff bill passed, some version of that, I don't know that that's possible, but if we could, um, that would strengthen the Democrat Party, so that these people that run under the under the Republican Party, who are Democrats that can't spell redcoats, well, then there's no reason for them to run in the Republican Party because they can run with the Democrat Party, and then we can actually have a clash of ideas as to who has the best solutions for Wyoming. Exactly. I'd say the most laugh out loud opposition to the runoff is is from the all the people who want Medicaid expansion. Massive. They want an income tax. They want tolls. You name it. What do they say? Oh, the runoff's too expensive. Oh, I know. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so it was the had, special session, yes. If we had a runoff, we could never clandestinely We don't want to waste any things. money. Now let's pass Medicaid. <laughs> well, actually, Diane, the, from my perspective, 
the amount of campaign ads that came out of that special session are worth any amount of money we could have paid. <laughs> That's true, but that was not their plan. No, no, not at all. You know, right. unintended consequences right, at right. all. Right, <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Rhinos. <laughs> final thoughts, anybody? No, we never have final thoughts. I can say it doesn't have to be a this final thought. It's not hours. a that's not a threat. Cer- certainly sounded like one. Final words, Tom. <laughs> now that you outed yourself as one of those bleeding heart libertarians. This what do you a- say about not going to church? This is all gonna be continued, I'm sure. 